Yo, what's up? Welcome to the Stairway to 7 podcast. This is the first episode um, of what we hope to be a long engagement. But in this podcast, we'll talk about financial literacy, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and other stuff that comes up just based on whatever's happening in the world. All right? So, let's get the housekeeping out of the way. My name is Ismail Abdurrahman. I know that's a mouthful for some of you, so you can, some people call me iVibes because that's the name of my business, um, and I am the champion of all things entrepreneurship, talk about that a little bit later. Um, some people call me Big-ish, not because I'm like Big-ish, like a little bit big, because I'm a fairly large human, but if it's easy for you to say, hey, you can call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner, all right? So, stairway to seven, Why? <laughs> Because when you want to succeed, you got to know that there is no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs. And a long time ago, people made making six figures a goal, like, and that was supposed to be the measure of success. But, buddy, let me tell you, times have changed. You can't live on six figures now like you used to. So, we need to change the conversation and make it seven figures. All right? So, stairway to seven. Now, like I said, we're going to talk about financial literacy, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and, and those things are important to me personally, right? And they, they have been for a long time, for so many reasons, right? Um, importantly, importantly, I've seen the impact that a lack of knowledge or awareness in these areas can have. I've seen it with family, I've seen it with friends, I've seen it with colleagues, I've seen it around me. So I am personally invested. Like, this is a passion project for me. All right? Um, so you see people, they, they, they go through the journey of life. They have really high highs. They have pretty low lows and everything in between. Right? So the object is to be able to take lessons, take heed to the lessons learned, learn from other people's mistakes, learn from our own mistakes. Right? And that's the, one of the greatest parts of quote-unquote failure is to be able to take a lesson from that experience and apply it to your life moving forward, right? So, um, and sometimes there are hard lessons. Sometimes there are very hard lessons. But we want to make sure that we uncover truths along the way, all right? So, with respect to like how I've seen this, you know, lack of awareness, um, impact people, I'll, I'll tell you a story about myself, right? So when I was a kid growing up in Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Dirty Jersey in the building, it hurt. Um, so from Jersey, right? And when I was growing up, I was the only kid I knew who's growing up in a house that didn't have either a mother or a father in it. It was a little bit different, right? So, my paternal grandmother raised me. You know, sweet old lady, she she did the best she could. It was definitely a tough love environment, I'll say that, right? Now, you know, when you're a kid, and you go out, you go shopping, like, especially if you're from the hood, so what happens, like, before you go out, you get the pep talk. You get the pep talk before you go out. You know, if you're from the hood, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. So it's to be like, 
Okay, listen. When we go out, don't ask for nothing. Don't touch nothing. Don't break nothing. I'm going to break your butt. It was, it was that, you know what I mean? So, like, you, you're already afraid. And, like, you know, as a kid, you try to put the pieces together. Like, why is that such a big deal? But then, as you get older, you realize that it comes down to a scarcity thinking around money. All right? But that was the, that was the setup. All right? That was the setup. So, when we think about it, I mean, that's, what, financial fear, financial trauma, all right? And, and it's like, it's pervasive in the hood. Pervasive. It ain't just black people. It's everybody who comes from that element, they have the same thinking, right? So, look, on my block, we had Jamaicans, same thing. Haitians, same thing. Puerto Ricans, same thing. Like, nobody was spared. Everybody was living in this broke mindset and the thing that happens is when you grow up that way what do you do you pass it on right so this is the thing that it starts a cycle that we we want to try to break right so back to what i'm saying oh and before i forget before i forget (laughs) i'm neurodivergent i have the world's worst adhd at least i think it's probably the world's worst right so you got to bear with me um, <laughs> as I as I try to manage my distractions, right? Because my mind will go all over the place, and sometimes I will get off script. But in any event, back to the story, right? So here I'm. I'm eight years old. All right. So I went to live with my grandmother when I was five, or I was about to turn five. I'm eight. I see lots of stuff that I want that I can't have. Ain't nobody buying me, right? So, at some point, it's like Pavlov's dog. Like, I don't know if you remember that from, from sci- or psychology classes, right? Pavlov's dog, where they train the dog based on, like, the bell and the buzzer. Anyway. So, my, my grandmother had an itchy trigger finger. Alright? It didn't take much to provoke her for her to go from zero to a hundred. And she beat that butt. So, you go out. You got the pep talk before you went out. Don't ask. Don't touch. Don't break. And you do it anyway because you're a kid with a short attention span, right? But the problem is, you know, going to school, you're growing up in the hood. Like, if if you don't dress a certain way, you're going to get clowned. So now, when that happens, you know what I'm saying, the hands start swinging. So I'm getting to fights in school all the time over stupid stuff. I mean, but, you know, I was eight years old. Like, eight-year-olds ain't really going to hurt each other. I mean, you know what I mean? Unless they had, like, real hard Buster Brown shoes. It wasn't going to be real, real bad, right? Grandmother had an itchy trigger finger, and she had heavy hands. And she had bumping knuckles, too. Um, as a matter of fact, I used to call her Frankie Knuckles at one point. Because <laughs> her first name was Francis. I started calling her Frankie Knuckles, because it was like that. But anyway... So when I'm eight, one day my aunt comes over to the house. So my aunt was my father's sister, right? She was, I don't know, I want to say maybe 15 years older than me. So she's like a big sister to me, real mad cool. And she was a teacher in a junior high next to the uh, next to the elementary school that I was going to, all right? So in any event. She came over with some Girl Scout cookies one day. Everybody loves Girl Scout cookies. And I was like cookie monster back then, right? So 
she came over with a couple boxes. She had the Thin Mints. I, I wasn't rocking with those, but she had some other ones. I forget what they were, but I liked them. And we dusted off like all the boxes she had. I forget how many boxes, but I was a kid. So it was like I was in cookie heaven. So, you know, we dusted off the boxes. And I was like, yo, on ours, like, can, can you, like, get some more cookies? So what happened was, like, she had a colleague who had some little girl relative. I don't know what the relation was exactly. Who was in the Girl Scouts. She was selling, you know, to help her relative out. So she said she had to order some more. I was like, bet. So the next time she came over, and she came over typically like every day or pretty close to it, right? So she had to order for him, for the cookies. So she's telling me I could help her pick out what I want. So on the last page of the order form, it has quantity and price. Yo. The more cookies you bought, the cheaper the price got. They were trying to encourage people to buy in bulk, right? Because when people buy a lot of Girl Scout cookies, it helps the Girl Scouts, right? They don't want you just buying one box at a time. So I asked mine, yo, is that for real? Like, is that a mistake? And she's like, no, you know, and she explained, they're trying to get you to buy more cookies. I was like, listen, can I borrow $100? <laughs> she's like, what? What are you, stupid? A hundred dollars? What you need a hundred dollars for now? She and my grandmother, they get concerned. They're like, yo, you getting beat up at school? Like, is this protection money? What you need a hundred dollars for? Yo, I'm eight years old, son. I'm eight years old. <laughs> Why do you think I need a hundred dollars? I'm seeing opportunity, right? They think I'm <laughs> fearing for my life. Yo, what would you have been thinking? Tell you what I was thinking. I was like, listen, if you let me borrow $100, all I'm going to do is tell you which cookies to buy, $100 worth. And I'm going to sell the cookies. And I'm going to run you back your 100 but I'm going to pocket three. It was something like that. It was something like, by the time you spent that much money, it was like, uh, basically, a, it, like, let's say if it was normally a dollar a box, it was like a quarter a box. You know what I mean? Like, I forget the exact numbers, right? But it was that ratio. She was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. So she ordered the cookies for me. So she never gave me the hundred, but she ordered the cookies that I wanted and I sold them. I, mean, I, I, I ain't gonna lie, I ate a few boxes, but I sold them, right? Gave her money back. And she was like, pretty impressed. So now I'm like, yo, you know what? Let me do that again. I don't need to borrow no money off you now. But I gave her $200. I gave her 200 right? And when she bought the cookies, like, you know, when she got the delivery, it was like, you know, it was a big deal. It was a whole bunch of boxes. But by this time, I got help. You know what I'm saying? I put some, because I have friends in different grades and in different schools. So I put people on. I was like, listen. If you sell 10 boxes for me, I gave you a free box and I gave you $20 kind of thing, right? And, and everybody, like, I'm, I'm dealing with people, like, so, like, I'm 8. So, like, between 8 and, like, 12, 13 years old, you know what I'm saying? Like, you'll get $20 in a, in a box of Girl Scout cookies, he's happy to do it. So, that was a setup. 
And you know the Girl Scouts. I don't know. Maybe it changed now, but back then they only they only used to do the Girl Scout cookie drives like twice a year, right? So like I had to maximize this opportunity. So I was like the Girl Scout cookie kingpin of North Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I yo, we blew up. I blew up. I mean, I fed other people, but you know what I'm saying? I blew up. And by the time they had stopped, like the the drive, because I don't know, they do it for like a month or two. It's not like you know forever. So by the time they stopped selling the cookies, I had pocketed like if this is after me paying my distribution channels, you know what I'm saying, and marketers, you know what I'm saying. I still had more than a thousand dollars. It was less than two thousand, but it's more than a thousand. I don't remember the exact number. But I felt like I was rich, sitting on my bed. With my shoe boxes, you know what I'm saying, counting my money, I was like thinking I was like Bill Gates. You know what I mean? Like I it was like that. Think about everything I'm gonna do with that money. And then guess what happened? Before I knew it, it was gone. I didn't get robbed, nobody stole it from me. But I didn't understand money like that. So I know how to spend it, how to use it, how to make it work for me. Like I bought stuff. A lot of it was food. I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna keep it a buck. A lot of it was food. I bought like, you know, football cars, baseball cars, Hot Wheels cars, you know, a couple of pairs of, you know, clothes. But I mean, it, it, it just wasn't anything tangible where you could look back and be like, okay, I know where my money went and it was good value. It wasn't like that. Because I'm like, as fast as I got that, I could do that all the time. I'm thinking it's never going to end. We see people like that, right? Look, I know I'm dating myself, but remember when, like, the the, the lottery first became, like, a big thing? Like, the New York State lottery, like, when people started winning, like, the $5 million jackpots? And remember, like, there'd be these people, like, there was a cafeteria worker or worked at the post office or in a factory or whatever, and they win a million dollars, two million, five million. But in five years, they broke. And people used to be like, yo, how does that happen? I know how it happened because it happened to me with my little $1,000, right? You can't do, you can't be good at something that you've never learned how to do. Like managing money and and budgeting and, and planning and investing. Those things are not like innate skills that you're born with. Like when you're born... You know, eventually you learn how to suck so you can eat and how how to crawl and then you cry in responses. Like, there's certain things that are pre-programmed, but managing money is not one of them. So I lost all my money, man. And that was a hard life lesson. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, look, ain't nobody come bail me out either. It was just like, oh, well, <laughs> it's gone now. You know what I mean? And we see this in our neighborhoods, in our urban areas, in our urban neighborhoods. We see this all the time, especially in those neighborhoods. Not just in those neighborhoods, but especially in those neighborhoods, right? So this this problem goes back to the education or the miseducation system. Because this, the style of education that we have was started, was based on like what started in, during the Industrial Revolution, right? They needed workers for factories. They had to train the workers for factories. So you set up the school system a certain way so people become basically robotic, 
figures that show up on time. They don't push back against authority. They do exactly what they're told. You know, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. You know that lie that they tell you? Meanwhile, you're doing all the work and the guy that owns the factory is chilling. You know what I mean? Like he's sipping Mai Tais in Fiji or something. But he's the one really getting paid. But they don't tell us that part, right? But that's what the school system was designed to do. So whereas, right, in the industrial age, in the industrial economy, that was fine then, right? Then you sell people a dream. If you work real hard, you know, you can work your way up into management, yada, 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 right? Then they started MBA programs to, you know, encourage people to spend more money, right? But that, that's like the lie that they tell you, right? Because that's the American dream. Go to school, work real hard, get good grades, go to college, work real hard, get good grades so you can graduate and get a job with a good salary so you can buy a house, so you can buy a car. But the part they leave out, so you can work until you die. If they put that part into the sales pitch, right? If that was part of the spiel, would you sign up for that? I ain't signing up for that. This is a whole indoctrination process. There are people, and I've seen it in my own family. My grandmother, right? Same grandmother I'm talking about. I didn't realize how much, I didn't know how much money she made. She was a school nurse. All right, she was a school nurse. I didn't know like anything about her salary. But when I was applying to go to college, we went to the bank, right? She said, you know, just in case we got to take out a loan. <laughs> when she put her salary on the on the uh, loan application, I was shocked. She was making $78,000 a year as a school nurse. And this is, you know, well, in, in 87, 86, 87, all right, which by, in today's economy, that was probably the spending power. That was at least, that would put you mid, like $150,000, $165,000, right, roughly. But every month, every month, my grandmother's sitting at the kitchen table Stressed out over bills, trying to figure out what's getting paid, what ain't getting paid, what she can do, what she got to pay. When I saw that on the application, I was like, Nana, you rich. She was like, I ain't rich. What are you talking about? I'm like, look at how much money you make. Like there's lawyers and doctors that are struggling to make it. What do you, why we always ain't got no money? She couldn't really explain it. Educated woman, right? She had a bachelor's in nursing. She was an RN, the whole nine. Did not know how to manage her money. And I know plenty of examples like that, right? Yeah, you, you do all the things, right? You get the education, you get the job. And you still live paycheck to paycheck. You can make $100,000 a year right now. And be living paycheck to paycheck. 
and forget it. Like if you live in like LA or uh, New York City or um, Chicago or something or Boston, bruh, you still broke at a hundred thousand, like dead broke. You dig? So the education system has done a poor job of preparing us for life. They didn't teach us what they needed to teach us. What they should have taught us and where the emphasis needs to be now, right? Because now you see more major companies moving away from having a bachelor's degree as a requirement for an entry-level position. Companies are moving away from that. For some things, you've got to go to college. If you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, a scientist, a medical professional, or a teacher, you need to go to college. That part is not debatable. For most other things, and maybe you can throw accountant, an accountant in there as well, right? But for most other things, it is entirely possible to get the skills that you need to do a job to get into a career without having to spend four years and a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on an education. See what our school system should have been doing, they should have been teaching us entrepreneurship and leadership and financial literacy. But the problem is when you do that, then you don't get the endless pool of, you know, mindless robotic workers who will simply come to work and do what they're told so that the people at the top of that food chain can stay rich, right? Because now you have people who are independent thinkers and critical thinkers and disruptors. And when that happens, when they disrupt an economy... Well, it's going to take money out of other people's pockets, right? But that's a different conversation for a different day. But the system is fundamentally flawed. It's not set up to set you up for success. That's the problem. So they tell you, you know, your goal is to strive to get a job that pays you yay amount, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. This is success. But then they never prepare you for managing that money when you get it. And then, of course, we have all the tropes about rich people and money. And I mean, like, we're, you're, it's like you're, you're programmed to, to hate money or to hate rich people, right? We hear that stuff growing up, right? Uh, money is the root of all evil. If you say so. But most of the people that I know who are locked up are locked up because they didn't have enough money. Like, not having money for them was the root of evil. You see what I'm saying? Rich people are evil. Oh, he must have, you know, done something shady to get that money. Like, if we're not talking about athletes, entertainers, or celebrities, if we take them out of the question, right, and and we just focus on people who have money, there's always, oh, he must not be a nice guy. He probably, you know, beats his kids and, and cheats on his wife. Like, we have all of these negative connotations to go with money and people who have it, so that it becomes something that is offensive to us, right? And it's like it's a bad thing to, to try to work for it and get it and, and to maximize our earning. That's the way we're conditioned to believe, right? You hear those things. The, the money scripts that we have is too expensive. Uh, you can't afford it. It's not worth the money. This, that, and the third, right? And those things then create and contribute to financial trauma. 
So with all the with all of that programming, all the negative programming we've had around money, if you reach adulthood and you've managed to create or or maintain a healthy financial psychology, then good for you. You are one of the few. But for most of us, I can tell you from experience that is not the case. So here we are, right? We gotta we have to reprogram the way we think about money, right? So if you are not where you want to be financially, if you are not financially independent, or if you're not well on that road, right, where you've dealt with your financial mindset, your financial psychology, and you've implemented a plan and such, right? If you're still in the beginning stages, then the first thing that we've got to do is address your money mindset, your financial psychology, right? We have to address that first. Why? Because with anything, you can't build a house on the foundation of quicksand. So no matter what it is that you're doing in life, like your mindset has to be first. You know, like you have to have the right mindset for something. So for many of us, developing a positive mindset also means that we have to rewrite the negative scripts that we have about ourselves when it comes to money. Because many of us, what happens is we'll have a negative experience with money and then we make ourselves a result. And then we perpetuate that. So that the messages that we're giving ourselves about money and our relationship with money is going to be perpetually negative. Right? Think about it, like money is one of the only instances where we will make ourselves a result, right? So, you know, you do something, the result doesn't come out right, and then all of a sudden, like, you're bad because you got a bad result. I'll give you an example, right? Going back to college, right, which, depending on how you look at it, might be the biggest scam of the 20th century, <laughs> Or, or at least the back half of the 20th century and the current century, right? Um, again, that's a different conversation. But on college campuses, on college campuses, it is incredibly easy to get a credit card with no proof of income. So when I was in college, right? I forget what year. I think I was a junior. I'm pretty sure I was a junior. Because, yeah, I was a junior. I was a junior. All right. I got a credit card. That's not true. I got a couple credit cards. Because they were giving, these banks were on campus giving out credit cards like money. They ain't asked for proof of income. They want your social security number, your address, and your phone number. And as long as you're in college, they're thinking, eventually you're going to graduate which is a lie. Eventually you're going to graduate and you're going to get a job and you're going to be able to pay us back everything that you spent plus interest. Right? That's the bank's perspective. That ain't what they sell you though. They sell you buy now, pay later. You're in college. You need stuff. Buy now, pay later. And there's the pay later part that was a whisper, right? The buy now was like, buy now! Pay later. 
we almost forgot about the paying back part, right? So look, I got like, I forget, three, four credit cards, whatever the case is. And I'm biased. I'm, I don't even know what I'm spending the money on. It's just, it was like Monopoly to me, right? Until the phone started ringing. Now I got creditors calling me talking about um, making payments on credit cards. Before I knew it, I had $5,000 in credit card debt. I'm a college kid, right? I don't have a job. I'm on the football team. I don't have a job. How am I going to pay that back? That was almost financial suicide before I turned 21. I was like 19. You know what I mean? I was like 19. That was insane. And I, and I couldn't understand why why you were giving me plastic to use and then getting mad at me when, when I couldn't pay it back when you know I didn't have a job. But this is why the system is set up the way it is. Because then what happens is what? Once you accumulate debt, what happens? You become beholden, enslaved. So when you do get a job, you're not likely to quit. Then you're able to make some payments. So then what? They extend your credit limit. So that you do what? So you buy more. You see what I'm saying? So this cycle is a, is a vicious cycle. All right? Now, in that circumstance, I could have been like, oh, man, I'm no good with money. I'm bad with money. I don't know how to manage stuff. I, I could have I been like that, but I wasn't. Right? This is where language is important. I'm not saying lie to yourself. But what I am saying is instead of saying, okay, that happens to you, now you jammed up with credit cards, right? Instead of saying, oh, I'm no good with money. I'm bad with money. I'm bad with credit cards. Change the narrative. Change how you're talking about it. Why not say something like, okay, well, I found myself in a bit of a mess with my credit cards, but I'm working on getting things in order again. Boom. Let me run that back for you. I found myself in a bit of a mess with my credit cards, but I'm working on getting things in order again. Language is different. I'm not saying that I'm the result. I'm bad. No, the result was bad. I'm not bad. I'm pretty daggone good, right? Look at the language I use to diminish the psychological impact of this negative outcome. I found myself. It means it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. I didn't do it on purpose. In a bit of a mess, right? A bit. Just a little bit, right? Like, you know, you eat a burger and some fries and you're still a little bit hungry. You don't want a whole nother burger and fries, but you know, just something to snack on. A bit of a mess, right? Not a, a catastrophe, not a disaster. It's a little bit of a mess. Maybe you have a little bit of a mess on your desk or in your room and you can straighten things up. Colossians, in 15 minutes and you're good to go, right? Easy to fix because it's just a mess. And then what? I end it with something positive. I'm working on getting things in order again. 
this is why mindset is important, right? Same scenario, but talking about it in two different ways gives us two different psychological results. So we got to start our discussion by understanding what does it mean to have a healthy money mindset? Positive financial psychology. What is it? Why is it important? And importantly, how do we get there from here? All right, so that's going to bleed over to our next episode. But we have to talk about our financial trauma and work through how to get things back on track. And believe me, financial trauma is a real thing. Listen, I am a certified financial education instructor, all right, by the uh, National Foundation, no, by the National Financial Educators Council, right? And I have another certification for financial literacy. And there are people who, they're certified financial planners, this, that, and the third. There is a new certification in the area of personal finance. It is called a financial therapist. Financial therapist. Why? Because people have financial trauma. So this is like real stuff. I ain't just make it up. All right. We'll talk more about financial trauma later. And um, you know what? That gives me a good guest idea for the podcast. But we have to address that first. We have to deal with our trauma. We have to, you know, deal with mindset issues, get things back on track. Because look, you can read you can read all the books, you can do all the things, you can get the coaching, the mentoring, the, the podcast, and all of that. But if your mindset isn't right, if you haven't built your foundation for success on solid ground, starting with your mindset, you are never going to reach your potential. Point blank. So nowadays, right, on social media, you got everybody and their mom as an influencer, a guru, this, that, and the third. And people talking about mindset and manifest this, that, and whatever. This is like, you know, buzzword hot stuff now, right? But, you know, centuries ago when I was in college, it wasn't like that. Les Brown was out there. Like, my grandmother used to watch Les Brown. And she used to tell me, you got to watch Les Brown. But, you know, I was like... Trying to play football. I wasn't thinking about nothing else except playing football and eating. But I remember, you know, sitting with her sometimes while she's listening to him. And, you know, it'd be a little bit interesting. But, you know, when you're young and you think you're invincible, things don't really resonate. Right? So before I went to college, she was like, yo, you need to listen to Les Brown. And he'll help you get your mind right before you go to college. And I was like, what do I need that for? (laughs) Yeah, stupid me, right? Check this out. When I went to college, they had, um, the university, they had a summer program for incoming freshmen called Academic Advancement. The object was to get incoming freshmen to get on campus a little bit early. They get to, you know, feel the lay of the land. They take English and math, you know, just get their feet wet a little bit and, you know, start to acclimate to college life before the semester starts. I love Jersey. Yeah, I love dirty Jersey. You know what I mean? But I was trying to get out of there. I was done with Brick City and Illtown. I was like, yo, I got to get out of here. So I went. So it was July and August, right? September starts the fall semester. I'm like, this is a piece of cake. What are we doing? English and math? Do that in my sleep. 
You know what I mean? So I'm like, I went down so I could be in the cafeteria. I could hit the weights, you know what I mean? Get my weight up for the football season and all that stuff, right? So I'm thinking, like, this is going to be like a piece of cake. Everything is cool, right? Knocking out my English assignments, no problem. We come take the first math midterm. I'm like, man, this is, like, this is college? This is easy? I mean, like, this is so easy. This is, like, easier than high school. Take that first math test, submit my exam, bam. Get it back the next day or the day after. How you think your man did? I'm a, and look, and I ain't trying to be funny. I'm going to keep, I ain't trying to be funny, but I'm a smart dude. I mean, like, we'll talk about how smart I am later, but I'm, I'm prefacing it before you guess. What do you think I got on my first math test? And I'm, I'm telling you I'm a smart dude. What do you think I got? 18. Yes, yeah, son. Got an 18 out of 100. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, you are these numbers backwards? How did I get 18? Like you could, you know, square it or cube it, and I, I still fail. What are you talking about? I got 18, and I was stunned. I'd never failed math in my life. Like, what's happening? And as soon as that happened, so there was a, there were two other guys on the football team in that program with me, right? And then that was it. Everybody else was just, you know, they were civilians, right? And people used to clown us. You know, dumb football players, dumb this, dumb, you know, that's the stereotype. Dumb jock, right? Cool. Because a lot of people in that program were, gonna, were like engineering majors. They thought they were special. I ain't hating, but, you know. Soon as, and you know, they embarrass you in college, right? They, you know, they air you out so everybody know your grades. So now, people clowning. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm stunned for a minute. It takes a while to settle in. I'm like, that's not even me, son. I don't even know what happened, but whatever, right? But I ain't taking no chances. You know, I got a tutor. Because I'm smart enough to know, like, that can't happen again. So I got a tutor, you know what I'm saying? I schedule hours with my tutor. And, you know, we're, we're tutoring and all that stuff. And, I'm, you know, English, like I said, I'm knocking that out the box. No issues. We coming up on the second midterm. Now I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, yeah, all right, y'all was talking junk, right? Bet, I got you, son. Where you see what I do on this test? And I'm putting in work. Like MC Light, I crammed to understand. You know what I'm saying? Like I was I was on it like that. Took that second midterm. Bam! I got another 18. It was crazy. Like, I, f- I thought the world was coming to an end. I called my father, my father, and look, my father was a math major. Right? He he could do differential equations in his head in his sleep. He was like, <laughs> I feel bad for you, son, but you better figure it out because um, if you fail that final, you're going to be academically ineligible to play football in the fall. 
which means you got to come back home to Jersey. And I was like, yo, <laughs> I ain't trying to do that. So now I'm stressed. Whatever people were thinking about me before, but not saying they were, they were emboldened now. Like people was talking greasy to me, to my face. I couldn't even do nothing. Like if I was back home, they'd have got a two piece and a biscuit. You ain't talking to me like that. Like, you know, certain level of respect you got to have. But, like, I can't even afford to, like, take it there because I'm already, you know, teetering on flunking out before the first semester even start. Can't afford to get in a fight. What am I going to do? I hear the noise. I hear the whispering. People talking crazy to me. Side-eyeing me the whole nine. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to deal with this. Like, I hear what they're saying. But I know that's not me. I'm a brilliant dude. Like, what are you talking? Like, forget the test. I know me. So I'm not really pressed. But, like, at the same time, like, you ain't just going to talk crazy about me and think that's going to be the narrative either. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to deal with all that. Eventually, my tutor taps out. She bailed on me. She told me. She was mad wild, man. She was mad wild. She was like, listen, it was nice knowing you. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, this is going to be our last session. Um, cause you're not going to pass the test. So, And the, and the, the reality is I'm only still coming because I get paid. Because the, like, the same center that set up this program for us, like, she was a tutor through them, so all she had to do was record her hours. She signs, I sign, she gets paid. She looked me dead in my eyes and told me I was going to flunk and be back in Jersey. And she said it wasn't even worth her time to come down and try to tutor me and get paid because I couldn't learn. I wasn't going to be able to handle it. I was offended. And I hear people, you know what I'm saying, like one of our counselors in the program uh, was a dude who was on the track team. Yeah, he was trying to give me a pep talk, but everybody else, I mean, they just dumped on me. Now, I had a, I had a couple choices, right? I could have heard that talk and been like, yeah, you know what? If enough people saying it, it must be true. Or... You know, I could have thumbed my nose so it gave it the finger and be like, yeah, whatever. All right, watch what I do. I'm a hood dude. I did the second one. So I'm like, all right, you know, it's me against the world. This is before Tupac. <laughs> right? It's me against the world. I'm in my room. I'm cramming. Trying to make this stuff make sense. Like, because at some point it dawned on me that it wasn't me just having bad tests. Like... I wasn't understanding something at some point. So, you know, I went into like beast mode with my studying. Night before the test, you know what I'm saying? Like after um, I ate dinner in the dining hall, you know, I copped a couple extra burgers. Um, you know, because I, I told you I got real bad ADHD. So like sometimes I, I just need something to eat while I'm working. So like it to keep my mind focused, right? 
And I'm, I'm killing my, like, I think I probably had like six, seven Mountain Dews that night. I'm listening to Rock Him, Microphone Fiend Rock Him. He got a song called Put Your Hands Together. All right. Yeah, I'm dating myself. It's all right. All right. So look, and I'm going to keep dating myself. Look, I'm listening to the tape. I know a lot of young people don't even know what <laughs> cassette tapes are, right? But y'all listening to the tape, and he spits his bar. My mind's a coach, the physical form's the team. The top's the destination, I'm the cream. It's still our rise to something pumping, something clever, ladies and gentlemen. Put your hands together. Pause. Run that back. I rewound it. Played it again. Rewound it. Played it again. I think I played it six times in a row. And what's crazy, because I already knew it, because I'd already memorized the whole tape. But this time when he said it, it struck something different in me. My mind's the coach. My mind is the coach. The physical form is the team. The body does what the mind commands it to do. My mind's the coach. You don't get to tell me what I am. I know what I am. Changes narrative. And it clicked. I was like, yes, I am in control. I can make this narrative what I want it to be. I can control my outcome by my effort. This is the first like real incident that I had with mindset that let me understand that when you get your mind right, you can start to positively affect outcomes in other parts of your life. I mean, we're human. It comes and it goes, right? We're not always on that mindset high, but this was the first thing. So check this out. Check it out. Check it out. After I ran that bat like six, seven times, I closed my notebook. I don't know if you've ever seen The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, the, the movie about chess. There's a scene with a little girl. She looks up at the ceiling, and she can see the whole chessboard. And it was like, boom, she understood chess. When I tell you, I closed my eyes, and I could literally see my notebook. This is when I found out I had an eidetic memory. It's a form of photographic memory, right? Never knew it before. This triggered it. With my eyes closed, I was literally turning through every page in my notebook in my mind. I was like, yo, this is sick. Stayed a little while longer. I was like, yo, knocked off my cheeseburgers, took it down. Next morning, I go take the test. This is the final exam. I finish in 20 minutes. Professor's laughing at me. Got his TA's laughing at me, right? So when I go to hand in my exam, professor tells the TA, you can go ahead and mark his now. That's going to be easy. That's the guy that gets the 18s. That's what they knew me as, 18. I had jokers in that program telling me, I hope you're a wide receiver, then you can wear number 18 on your jersey. They was clowning. Yeah, all right, bet, whatever. Just mark the paper, stupid. 
You know what I'm saying? So, you know, stomping out of, out of the joint, you know what I'm saying? Going back to my dorm room. Here's somebody calling my name. Right? TA beat it. I mean, because it wasn't hard to find this on campus because, like, everybody in this program was staying in one part of campus in one set of dorms. So it wasn't hard to find us. Right? And I think I stopped to get something to eat on the way because, you know, eating is a hobby. TA catches up with me. I wanted to snuff this dude too, right? Because he had a lot to say a minute ago. I wanted to snuff this dude. He was like, Professor, I want to see you. I was like, for what? He was like, about your test. It was about the test? Joke, I use the number two pencil. What you want? He said, you got to come back to his office. So now I'm aggravated. I'm like, what stupidness is this, right? I don't know. I have no idea what it's about. I get there, right? He says, about your test, there's a problem. I'm like, what, dude, I used the number two pencil. Like, what, what's the problem? He said, no, that's, that's not what it is. He said that the problem is with your mark. I said, son, you ain't going to sit here and tell me I feel I know damn well I passed this test. He said, yeah, that's the problem. He said, you got the, high, you got the, the, the biggest mark and like uh, the biggest turnaround is what he said. He said, I don't think anyone's going to get a mark as high as this. Like, what I get? You got a 95. I said, like, yeah, bet. That's what's up. He said, no, 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 no. There's no way you got a 95. You must have cheated. My dude, how did I cheat? And I sat right in the front. Well, I mean, because, you know, you're not that smart. I said, says who? Well, I mean, you got 18 on two tests. I mean, you add them together, you still fail. All right, it was different now. He said, I need you to take the test again. I'm going to give you a different version. I said, all right, whatever. He gave me a test. I took it again. Finished in about 20 minutes. They marked it on the spot, 95. He said, this can't be right. I'm like, why? He said, because you're not that smart. I said, the test says I am. So maybe you're wrong. They made me take a third version of that test. I finished in 20 minutes. I got a 95. Professor is dumbfounded. He's flabbergasted. He's like, what in the world happened? How did you do that? I said, my mind's a coach, the physical forms, the team, the tops, the destination, I'm the cream. But if you really want to know, I just realized that I can take pictures of stuff with my mind. So all the notes and stuff that I have from the whole summer semester in my notebook, I can tell you what's on every single page right now. But importantly, I'm not letting what you or anybody else says about me ever define who I am to myself. Because I know my reality. And that was that. And after that, college was stupid easy. Law school was easy. That's a whole other issue, right? But look, point being what? You got to have the right mindset.
right? You have to set yourself up with the right mindset so you can be successful. So the money scripts that we have about only certain people have money. We're not those people. We can't afford this. Oh, we're broke. We're poor. We got to change all that. We have to move past financial trauma. All right. And we have to understand that money is just an exchange of value. And it has no bearing on who you are as a person, right? There are some people who are filthy rich who are jerks. They're terrible human beings. Money just makes them more jerky. And there are some people who are the best humans you'll ever come across in your life. They don't have much money, but they do have contentment. So by other people's standards, they might be like, oh, you're broke, you're poor. But when you talk to them, you find richness of spirit and experience. They are not poor. They may not have as much material wealth as what someone else has determined to be a standard or a goal. But these people are not poor. Poverty is a mindset. All right. So one of the things we got to know is negative self-talk has to be like the first thing that we eliminate. Just because you have a bad experience with money, you are not that result. And it doesn't matter what anyone has ever told you about money, or about people who have it, or rich people, this, that, and the third. None of that matters because you cannot make yourself that result. Don't define yourself. that. Listen, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. There are enough of them who will happily dump on you. Talk all kind of trash to you to make you feel bad about yourself. We're not going to do that to ourselves. We need to educate and uplift. So, once we get to that point, once we work through that financial trauma, we improve our financial literacy, we can break this cycle of generational poverty, of generational brokenness. We can stop having people who make six figures, stop them from living paycheck to paycheck. We have to change the narrative. So with that, I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Stairway to Seven. Why? Because like I said, ain't no elevator to success. You gotta take the stairs. And as I've said a couple of times already, living on six figures ain't what it used to be, baby. We need to go for seven.